Welcome to a new episode of the Superpowered Fancast. This is Darren. This week I had the pleasure of interviewing actor Eric Goins from the hit CW slash DC Universe DC Comics series Stargirl, uh, created by Jeff Johns. Uh, Mr. Goins and I talked about his career, his acting journey, some of the things that he enjoys about not only acting itself, but how he creates a character. And also a lot of the things that he enjoys about not only playing a, a supervillain like the gambler, but also some of the things that are special and interesting about uh, the character itself. So once again, I want to thank him for, for being on the show. And you can always find me on uh, Twitter, at SuperpoweredFan. Uh, you can go to my Instagram if you look for Superpowered Fancast on Instagram and the website www.superpoweredfancast.com. So without further ado, here is my interview with Eric Goins. Uh, Eric Goins, thank you so much for being on the Fancast uh, this week. I, I really want to, again, thank you again for being here. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of, of Stargirl. I'm a huge comic book fanatic, so uh, anything... Uh, comic book related I'm into. So um, the first question I wanted to ask is I, I'm just really trying to get into like learning about character. And like I was saying before, um, you know, who better to to talk about character than people who have to create characters and, and those are actors. So I guess the first question I'd ask is like, uh, like what was your, your, your acting journey? Like what, uh, what led you to, uh, to acting and performance like where yeah so i worked in the corporate world for a long time uh had no inkling that i was uh destined for a life in performance or acting and i went to an improv show my friends took me to an improv comedy show in 98 for my birthday and i watched the performers and i just was captivated i was having I was so in love with what they were doing and it looked like fun and it looked kind of scary, which was kind of, you know, compelling in a way. And I decided to try it. So I auditioned for class and I got in to class and the rest was pretty much history. I, about four years, five years after I started doing improv, uh, kind of regularly, like professionally, um, I had an opportunity to, to get an agent. And um, from that led to auditions for bigger and bigger things. In 2008, Georgia passed some tax incentives that brought a lot of work here locally to Georgia. So I ended up just being at the right place at the right time and, and knowing the right people and being prepared. And, and the rest is history. That's awesome. And in Along those lines, especially when you finally decide to get into uh, to get into acting, when like the the performance bug hits you, like um, when you're going in for for an interview, like for for Halt and Catch Fire or um, or for Stargirl, like what is kind of the process like? Like where does like what just specifically what was the I guess what was the audition process for Halt and Catch Fire like, and how was that compared to to Stargirl? Right, so. Most of the time, auditions are, are pretty consistent as far as the, the pattern they follow or the steps involved. Your preparation is different because you're always preparing for a different script or a different actor or a different director or a different character. Um, for Halt and Catch Fire, um, it was a little bit longer ago, so um, I basically got the script. Uh, 
they originally brought us in to the Halt and Catch Fire audition and they had us in person in front of the casting director and some of the producers and they had us read like three or four different characters and they were just trying to put the pieces together because especially for the pilot you know everyone was kind of like an engineer or a techie or software person and so they were just trying to find the right combinations of people. And so you would go in, you would read for a specific character, and then you would walk out and maybe get a, a new script right there on the spot. And they're like, well, come back in 10 minutes and do and do this one. And right. then you go in and do that, and they, you, you come back out, and they go, well, do try this one. And so they were just kind of trying to put pieces in a puzzle and see who fit best. Um, that audition was actually in person. So I walked into a room. Um, I, uh, I auditioned for the casting director and the producers, and then they made a decision based on that. <laughs> With Stargirl, I got a script that had relatively nothing to do with the project because it was a DC comic book project. So the, those things are generally kind of under wraps and they don't want any leaks and they don't want any you know, scripts to hit the, the internet. And, and really just over the last few years, that's become even more of a concern. So when I did Halt and Catch Fire, there was less concern about scripts getting out and, you know, things like that. But with Stargirl, they were a little more protective of the story and the script and the character. So I got a script that had very little to do with the actual script of Stargirl. It was generally, it was, a, it was a, an audition for this business guy who was having lunch with his boss and his boss lets him know that he's being replaced on the next big work trip. And so they want to see how, how you handle that. So this would be more of like a, like how do you act a role versus how do you create a character? What's crazy is I've, I've mentioned this before. So I did not, cause the, the gambler has a very distinct speaking pattern and a very distinct, characterization of who he is he he carries himself in a very specific way i did not present that to jeff or the producers or anybody in the show Mm -hmm. until episode two (laughs) i spoke out loud no no lie so my audition i did not do the character because it wasn't appropriate i had no idea what i was auditioning for when i booked the gig then I got a call like 30 minutes later and it was Jeff Johns on the phone, welcoming to the, welcoming to me to the show. And then he kind of gave me a, a rundown about the character, who it was and, um, and, and where he fit in with the overall storyline. And uh, I was like, Whoa, this is, this is kind of a big deal. I had no idea up until that point. So then when I got on set for the, for the pilot, um, I'm in the pilot just really quickly at the beginning during that fifth, that fight between the ISA and the JSA, I basically go to seemingly attack Starman and he, you know, with one fell swoop throws me through the air and I land on a table and that was my, my stunt double. So I wasn't even, you know, really in that. Right. So it wasn't until the second episode where I first spoke and during the pilot, Jeff and I kind of started talking about the character and what I was thinking. And I wanted to get his input obviously, cause he's the, that he's the end of the line when it comes to these stories and characters mm-hmm. and together we kind of collaborated and, and figured out who this character might be. But I never, I never said a word in his voice until I walked on set, you know, out in public, at least I did it at home, but that doesn't count. So it's kind of one of those moments where, where you do your first scene and you're like, you guys good. Everybody good with that. How does everybody like that voice? <laughs> you know? So Fortunately, everybody liked it. We moved on from there. 
Well, along those same lines, and that's 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 interesting because that was going to lead into those questions because you're, in essence, you are in that moment kind of creating a character because like Steve Sharp, like Gambler, he, he's been a comic book character since 1944, but he's never appeared on screen before. Right. So you have the unique ability, like you know how other actors, you know, you, they're when they play a comic book character, they've got either the history of someone else's interpretation that they have to throw away or they kind of have the, just the, the, you know, decades of who people kind of believe this character is, but you kind of get, but you got the, the unique ability to kind of create this character with Jeff Johns, but still kind of interpret it your own way. Yeah. So, yeah. What was like, what did you, like, what about the character did you find in just in those conversations with Jeff, did you find, like where in did you find the character in those conversations? So Jeff spoke to me about the gambler. And the first thing he said to me was, listen, and it makes sense. All the other ISA members, I think we know enough now that they all have children. Like, right. So Icicle has, has a son and he states in the show, he says, it's time to make a better place for our children. Mm-hmm. And he makes that problem his he makes that promise to his wife at the beginning of the show, and so everything he does is delivering on that promise, and then he pulls in the other i s a who have similar driving principles because they have children right they want regardless they want at least a a place where their children will be safe and get to impose themselves in any way they want in society. The gambler doesn't have that he has no children that we know of, and so um, I mean, he does in the comic books, but in this show, he does not have any children. And so that makes him particularly problematic to everybody because he's not being driven by any sense of familial responsibility or even like empathy at all. He is in it just for greed and personal gain. And that makes him sociopathic. Like he is just, he's completely in it for himself. And that in Jeff's terms was he's the, He's a villain amongst the villains is what he told me. And so what I took that to interpret as is the gambler will do whatever he needs to do right now in the present to get what he hopes to get in the future. And so that makes him manipulative. And when I think about someone who's manipulative and he's a gambler, right? So, Mm -hmm. so he is a gambler is trained to misdirect his facial expressions to what his intentions are, right? So you don't want to have a, a, a tell at all, right? And so when you take that to the extreme and say, okay, so the gambler can't have any tells. As a matter of fact, if you, if you played him really like without any type of emotion, then it's kind of a boring thing to watch. Mm-hmm. But if you play the opposite of that and say, not only is he not going to have a tell, but he's going to be almost the opposite of what's going on in his head. Right. That, that makes him more dangerous. And so the audience sees that kind of character and they go, okay, he's kind of smiling a little bit, but he's a bad guy. What? It's almost like he's like, you know, hey, everything's great. I'm here. I'm here to help. And then he stabs you, right? And you're like, where did that come from? I didn't see it coming at all, which makes him extremely dangerous. Right. And that's one of the things that I, just watching the series, I can see in your performance. It's like just – like the last one of the last episodes I saw where he's just walk where he's just walking in uh and uh sportsmaster and tigress is in there kind of drop and he drops a bag of peanuts and they tell him to pick it up and it's just that every time I see the character on screen and I see 
that smile. It's almost like you don't, you never know what he's going to do next or what he's thinking. And you're absolutely right about there not being a tell because if there was, because the only tell you can kind of get is that there is something dangerous behind his eyes. There's something dangerous. Yeah. About, and because you don't know what he's about to do next, you can't, you can't, you know, plan for it. Right. You're going to have to wait. And what I thought was really interesting about that scene with um, Tigress and Sportsmaster was he threw it on the ground, but it was right next to a garbage can. Right. So that's in, that's intentional. Mm-hmm. Like he literally did it intentionally to get a rise out of people, mm-hmm. which is if you read the comic books, that's how the Green Lantern, they first meet is he's standing right next to his wanted poster. Mm-hmm. And he's doing that to get a rise out of people. And I find that particularly devious. And so that's kind of, it's really supported by the Stargirl script because he sees the garbage can and he throws it right next to it, which is just getting a rise. It's, it's intentional. But it's also part of being a gambler. It's kind of, it's taking that chance. It's taking, it's taking that, that risk and just, and playing out the, the probabilities of what can happen in retirement. Right. And then also taking the results of that and using it to calculate the people around him. So obviously when Tigress makes that comment, she, it's, she's pretty disdained at, mm-hmm. at the gambler. The way she delivers that line, she's a, you could tell she doesn't like him a whole lot, right. um, which, which tells him where he stands with everyone. And I think that's what a gambler, a true gambler is always doing. They're trying to figure out where they stand within the greater circle of influence that they're surrounded by so they can make the appropriate decisions when they move forward. Right. And, um, and, you know, the other characters have, have like, you know, they have super strength or they can, you know, create, you know, icicle creates ice and cold and mm-hmm. brainwave has his telepathic powers. Um, you can go on. The gambler has none of that. He has a derringer and um, that's it as of right now. And so he only has his mind mm-hmm. and his, his charisma to get him through things. And that's almost one of the things that makes him more dangerous. Agreed. Is that he he doesn't have he doesn't have powers, but he has the ability to manipulate the people that do. Which is why I think it was brilliant that the writers made him like a hacker and a tech genius, because that really does fall right in line with who he is. Like mm-hmm. he is super dangerous because I would it's crazy, but like having access to information and being a hacker is almost as dangerous, if not more dangerous than physical abilities, especially in today's where, you know, like mm-hmm. mining information is more valuable than gold, they say. And so having information on people really is the ultimate power. And he's, he's not letting anybody know. Yeah, Go on. I, it, yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's one thing to rob a bank. It's one. It's another thing to be able to rob twenty banks at the same time, and and totally from the from a, and bounce the information off like twenty different, you know, through twenty countries. I love that scene where they they come in the first time you see me in front of all my monitors. Yeah. And there's a poker game going, like a video poker game going mm-hmm. on. There's a there's a football game going on over here. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 doing stuff in front of me. Like it's really cool that he's multitasking all these things, which right. shows his level of intelligence. Yeah, because it shows not only that he's really sm- that he's that he's incredibly smart, but also that the constant challenge of something has is is one of the things that's keeping him going. Mm-hmm. And that's again that's. 
again, another really interesting motivation, like character wise, because it's like, again, like they have like the other characters have to, you know, focus on kids and kind of maintaining the facade of, of, you know, being, you know, upstanding members of society and, and citizens like that. And, and he gets, Gambler gets to kind of go into another place and be the person that he really is. Yeah. And I think his guiding principle is he, at least in his perception, he always has more information than everybody else around him. He knows something that no one else knows. At least he perceives it that way, right. which, which, which allows him to sit back and smile and not be threatened by anything because mm-hmm. he knows something you don't, which right. makes him super dangerous. So were you a comic book fan like before, um, before taking the, the Stargirl gig? Like what, uh, if you were a fan, like what kind of comics did you read? So I love comics. I love anything superhero. Um, I don't have a ton of comic books to my um, to my collection. Um, I really like graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Um, if I talk about the um, the the comics that I, I enjoy, it would be the Flash. The Flash is kind of like one of my mm-hmm. top things of all times. I grew up watching like George Reeves Superman and um, Adam West Batman. I used to watch the old Shazam television show. Um, I mean, like classic, cla- like classic uh, uh, comic book shows. So those are the ones that I grew up watching. I pretty much love anything superhero related i'll watch anything like someone asked me the other day well are you what do you think about all these batmans that are coming out next year and you know michael keaton and robin pat robert pattinson and um uh um and ben affleck might even be thrown in there and i was like that's awesome it's more content i'll take it i'll take (laughs) all the content i can get that gives me three different batmans to watch right I'm, i'm i'm good like that's awesome i can't wait yeah, I mean, if anything, you can, especially from what they're talking about, kind of doing a flashpoint, that like you have that ability to just, and even, I guess, for the, not even I guess, but for the for the CW and the DC Universe shows, like the, the whole uh, Crisis, on, Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, crossover that kind of, you know, recreated the multiverse that, you know, Stargirl exists in. Like, you have that ability to just have all of these stories happening at once and not, and one doesn't have to take away from the other and you can enjoy and enjoy all of them at the same time. It's a really, really cool storytelling convention mm-hmm. that they're, that they're using. It's really, I think it's, it's really cool. Yeah. Cause it's not limiting. Like you can do, like you can have as many different types of stories on as many different earths as you want to. And that's, one of the things that is one of the things I'm enjoying about Stargirl is I I love the the old JSA like I love the I, I know I've, you, I've we've had the the Stephen Amell um, version of Green Green Arrow but now we have like there's a Green Arrow in the JSA like we had the mm-hmm. like, we still haven't had a a Arrowverse Green Lantern yet but there's the you know there's the Alan Scott was in the uh, in the JSA so that there's always that possibility of having those characters and that's what makes it fun yeah and you don't have to explain it it doesn't have to be one of those things where okay what like you're where you're having to you know deal with the the Arrowverse type thing you just say well this world they exist yeah like there's a there's a there's a pink pen sitting in Courtney's room right throughout this whole season there's a pink pen and and 
we presented it, but then we kind of, I kind of forgot about it, but mm. it's there right. and it's waiting to be used whenever they choose. And that's cool. Yeah, that's those, cool. Right. Those are some, some great like uh, storytelling uh, premises to just say, Hey, you know what? Everything's on the table here. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm, why I enjoy Stargirl so much. And one of the reasons why I enjoy your character so much is again, like what we were talking about is that um, you've got characters who have, uh, who you know are evil, you know they're the bad guy, and you know the gambler's a bad guy, but at the same time, there's just something interesting about him in the fact that you just don't know what he, what he, either what he's planning or what he's about to do next. I think what's, what's interesting about Stargirl is the bad guys in some way, shape, or form are likable. Yeah. Like, like Neil as Icicle, who's doing horrible things, mm-hmm. he is just likable. Like, yeah. and, he, and then you sit back and you go, well, he's actually, he loves his son. Uh, like the last episode, the one we just watched, 10, mm-hmm. um, where he's in the office and he walks in on um, uh, um, Amy Smart and Luke Wilson, um, and, they're in, and they're in her office, and he walks in with his parents. He seems so, like, charismatic and kind and charming. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that was such an interesting choice because it's like, he's really likable. If he weren't killing or trying to kill everybody, he would be a wonderful guy to hang out with. And I think that's really cool how Stargirl has done that. And so I think Gambler fits into that in his own way. He's, in a way, he's likable because he's he's kind of interesting and he, he kind of seems harmless, but... But you know he's not. You just don't know how you feel about this guy, but but he's a fun guy. And yeah, so and I, I think it's interesting how they've done that. Yeah, and that's a, a, along those same lines. It seems like the the overarching plan of the of the villains is to do something to improve the world in their interpretation. And I think that's right. Well, they're not trying to take over the world or turn it into a dystopia. They're trying to improve the world based on their interpretation of how the world should be improved. And that's what clashes with the, with the heroes in it. So that, which is an interesting, which is an interesting story point. Cause it's not, they're not trying to do, they're not in their mind. And I guess it's, it goes back to what, you know, a lot of people have said about the, the villain. Every villain feels they're the hero of their own story. Everyone does. That's right. Everybody <laughs> believes they're the hero in their own story. Right. So they're in essence, they think they're doing, they, think they believe they're doing the right thing and that you know invariably they're 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 doing the right thing for the in the wrong way right in essence which i think and i think that's what makes them a little likable it's kind of like um well it's kind of like you know in in a way it's it's kind of like that breaking bad theme right like it's like he's doing horrible things but he's doing it so his son has a better life it's like it's that classic question like are bad things acceptable to get a very good result right and that's that's a big question yeah is the ends do the ends justify the means right yeah absolutely so and just on that same uh level just because you're uh you're a fan of like that content is there like a a comic book hero or villain you you would like to play like other than uh, gambler like if you like just from your interpretation, was there is there like a character you think you know I could I could do that either in in live action or or voiceover? Good question. I don't. 
I mean, if, if, if like, if I weren't like character typing myself, like, so like mm-hmm. if, if, cause you know, Superman has a look and feel to him and so does, so does the flash, you know, um, like I'm a stocky guy, so nobody would believe I'm the fastest guy on earth. But, <laughs> but if if like typecasting were a thing, I, I would. I, I think Flash to me is one of my favorite characters, and I think that would be so cool. Yeah, to, to play that that person. Yeah, I mean that that would be awesome. Like I've always, you know, I'm I kind of I love so many different kind of char- like types of characters that I don't like to. I would never want to live in myself. So I would, you know, I could, as much as I love John Stewart as Green Lantern, I, I love Hal Jordan. Like if, yeah. If there were no like typecast involved, I think, you know, anybody could play Hal Jordan. But, Agreed. But Agreed. You're, you're absolutely right. Well, um, well, sort of just back to like character creation, like when you're, um, when you're creating a character, what kind of, uh, one of the things, one of the things that attract you to a character in the first place and then, when you like how I guess how to, how is the process of discovering who, what a character mm-hmm. is? Uh, yeah, what, what is that like? Well, whenever the first thing uh, the process for me, I think every actor probably has his or her own process. The process for me is you know the first thing I do is I read through the script and um, I try to identify how I connect, like what what things about me do I bring to this character? So um, every character that I present has to be rooted in an Eric in me. So if I don't, if I don't have something, then I can't share it in an authentic way. I mean, that's literally the definition of sharing is, is it, I have to own it before I can give it away. And that's sharing. Otherwise it's, it's theft, right? And, and it's not authentic. And so I have to find some truth for myself in the character. And then I have to understand how to bring that and shape that into the character. Um, when I, when I create it. And so I've done 20 years of improv and, uh, essentially 20 years of developing characters in front of a live audience sometimes on the spot. Right. And then other times as I have a little bit of preparation and I'm like, Oh, I want to work on a new character this week. And maybe I'll find a reason to bring him, um, him, him to the stage. And so um, I kind of, I have a pretty good toolbox of characters that I've already developed that I know were founded in me. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think the things that, that, um, that were really compelling to me, about the gambler is I, I I love comedy right I love it and um, I've been doing it for 20 plus years and um, my style of comedy is a little self-deprecating and but it's a lot of like there's a little devil on my shoulder right like mm-hmm. it's a little bit of like eh, gotcha and and that feeling that like eh, gotcha I think rings very loud with the gambler yeah. And so that's what was compelling to me about the character. And that's what I latched onto. I latched onto the fact that he is kind of like um, a kid who got his um, hand stuck in the cookie jar or got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like he's, his hands in there and he's like, Oh, 
this isn't what it looks like, right? Because that's what kid that's what kids do. Like my daughter, if I catch it, she's like, "Oh, I was I was just checking to make see if there were any cookies in here because uh, I wanted you to have one, right?" Like that's 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 what my daughter would say. And so and so that is kind of my my stylistic approach to to comedy in a way. And so that's what I saw in the Gambler. I see I see this this character who's always getting you know, stuck with his hand in the cookie jar, but talks his way out of it. Right. And it's so, like he's not, he's not going to not get the cookie, but he's going to make you understand. He's going to yeah. manipulate you into thinking that it's okay for him to take it. Yeah. And so also the fact that he's a gambler means that he's got a lot of charisma and that right. he's generally charming. And so um, he's kind of like, you know, if he weren't a bad guy, he would be that uncle that takes you to the state fair every year. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so I, I kind of relate to that. And so I think what, what I do when I create a character is I don't judge the character in a sense that I don't, I don't go into it going, okay, the gambler's a bad guy. Right. He's on the ISA. He's horribly dangerous. He's, right. he, he kills people and he's off to bad things. I don't do that. I don't, judge the character um a casting director a long long time ago um gave me that advice they said great audition but don't judge the character and i was like oh it's a good point and so i took that to heart and so not judging the character allows you to find kind of like the redeeming qualities and just find the person because the gambler like we're talking about he knows he's doing bad things but in his mind he either doesn't care or doesn't recognize how his act, how his behaviors are affecting other people, which is why, which makes him sociopathic. He has no idea mm-hmm. how his actions are affecting other people, or he doesn't care. Right. Either way, he's not like this twirling mustache twirling guy going he around. Could with mustache he, with he could. <laughs> yeah, he totally could. Um, but I think those are the compelling things that attracted me to the to the character. Is that he's a bad guy, but he doesn't carry himself in that way. And so I, I don't generally, I try generally not to judge the character. And so mm-hmm. that way I can, cause I'm not a, I'm not, I don't do bad things. I'm just an actor who plays people who do it. So mm-hmm. that brings my humanity to it and brings elements of me. And that's always going to be an authentic performance. Right. Um, if I try to start, if I try to go, Oh, okay. The gambler. Um, uh, there's this actor that plays a bad guy in one of the movies and I want to do it just like he did his bad guy. Well, that's, that's not authentic for me. That's, that's somebody else's interpretation of a bad guy and I'll, I'll never get there. And that just, it just comes off as bad acting because right. they're like, what is he doing? And it, it's because you're hiding who you are. You're trying to do an, you know, an impression of somebody else's bad guy. So I have to find the truth in it for me and then bring all those pieces forward and live in those truths and, and then just apply them to the context of the, of the script. What's funny is that it's, it sounds so complicated, but it took me 15 years to recognize how easy it was. It's just literally just, just be yourself. Just everything you have is enough. And I think that's a really cool lesson that, that improv particularly teaches, which is why I think kids should take improv. Every child should take improv because it teaches you that, everything you bring to the table as a human being is enough. You don't have to do. And, and actually our differences are celebrated. Like Mm -hmm. nobody wants to see an improv show with five people who are exactly the same. We want to see five people who are uniquely different. Um, So that way that creates uh, fun and diversity in our storytelling. 
And so, um, yeah, that's, that's how I, that's how I do it. Okay. Well, I mean, before, uh, all of this with, you know, the quarantine and the pandemic, were you still able to, were you still going out and doing improv, improv shows or, uh... Yeah. So I did, I did improv at a theater here in Atlanta for 16 years. And then I, I stepped away in 2015, um, to kind of focus on my acting career. I started a business that helps support actors. Um, I helped them take their auditions. I helped them with private coaching. I edit their demo reels, professional services for actors. Um, and as a result for about a year, I didn't do any improv and I really started to miss it. And, um, a friend of mine, I met my wife, at my improv theater. My wife actually is an actor and an improviser as well. And she joined my theater company, the one I was at, and we performed together for 10 years. And so um, she and I were missing improv. And then our two best friends who are also a married couple and just so happens to be my daughter's godparents, Mm -hmm. this girl asked us to do that. She knew we all did improv but we'd always done it at separate places. And she's like, have you guys ever done improv together? And we're like, no. And she's like, well, do you, we're, I'm going to do a, um, a benefit, like a charity event. And I was wondering if you guys would just do a, an improv show together. And we're like, yeah, that sounds like fun. So, so the next day we created our name and we're called the buskers. And um, we did the show and we loved it. It was so much fun. And so we basically just moved forward from that day and uh, we do, we do improv shows together and we either do like corporate events. So like if a private company wants to come and hire us, we'll do that. But mostly what we do is we do charity events. And so if there's a a cause that is looking to raise money, so like maybe a school or um, uh, we've done some, we've done some really great shows for organizations that are looking to raise money for a a worthy cause. So we just come in and we do a show, help them sell tickets to the show and, and give them the money. And, and it's a really cool environment to go and do uh, something like a live improv show for. So we end up doing a show like maybe once every three months or so once every three or four months. Um, I, I probably during the pandemic, I've recognized that I need to do it more often because it really feeds my soul. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of people are coming up with new priorities for their lives based on the pandemic and saying, I, I need to do more of these things that feed me. And so um, I think as I move forward, I'll definitely be doing a lot more improv with, with our troop, the buskers. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, it, there's nothing that, uh, I've always, the way I say it is like, if you want to know who I really am, like come see me at an improv show. Like that's me. That's the most authentic version of me. There is, is, is Eric Goins on, on a stage doing improv because I totally free. Right. I mean, when you walk through life, you have to, you, you kind of pivot, who you are based on your circumstances and being on stage is just the, the freest version of myself. That's all. Well, and on that note, um, do you have uh, any other, any projects coming out that pre pandemic that, uh, that you want to talk about or, um... you know, pre pandemic, I was hook, line and sinker with, with Stargirl. I mean, I worked on that show for about seven months and um, I have very, unique facial hair for that character and it and it's mine like so yeah it's real and it, no it is real and that specific facial hair it's a tough thing to sell for another role 
I mean, gotcha. there aren't there aren't many there aren't too many other roles that they're like, oh yeah, this this works for yeah. for this guy too. So <laughs> I was pretty tied into that, which I was more than happy to be. It was such a great experience. Oh. But like, so most of my most of my work over the year was um, was with Stargirl. Somehow I worked in an episode of Cobra Kai. Um, a, a, and I believe I, it must've been after we got done shooting uh, because I, I certainly didn't have that facial hair. But other than that, Stargirl is pretty much the majority of my work for last year and most of the stuff that's airing this year. Gotcha. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I know uh, a lot of people are and I uh, love the fact that it's been renewed for another season. So it's, I'm looking forward to the end of this season and how it rolls into the next. But um, Eric, look, if you want, if, if you wanted anybody to follow you uh, online, like where can where can they follow you? How yeah. can they find you? Uh, my website is ericgoins.com. And then my Instagram uh, uh, handle, is that right? My handle? <laughs> my Instagram <laughs> handle? <laughs> yeah, I think that is the underscore Eric, E-R-I-C underscore Goins, G-O-I-N-S. So the underscore Eric underscore Goins is my Instagram. That's probably the best place to find me. Gotcha. So um, are you on Twitter at all? Or? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Um, I'm on Twitter as the Eric Goins. All right. No, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. That's not true. I'm on Twitter as Eric L. Goins. Okay. I'm awful. Oh, no. I'm There's going to be links on this episode, so people will be able to. Yeah, my Twitter is Eric L. Goins. All right. That's awesome. Well, uh, Eric, thank you again so much for, for being on the show and talking about Stargirl. And uh, I would love to, uh, I guess, I would love to talk to you again, like after the, the season uh, ends, just kind of uh, recap the, the series as a whole. And if you have any, anything else you want to uh, talk about, I would love to as well. Yeah, I'd love to connect after the show. That'd be great. I'd love to do it. Um, and I really appreciate you doing this. I mean, I think one of the best parts of the show, the thing that I never um, anticipated was um, this incredible community of people who support these types of stories and this type of storytelling. And it is so cool to meet people like you and other people who are doing stuff like this. And and really the success of, of the, in my opinion, the entire genre is really tied to people like you and other fans that support the shows. So thank you. Well, thank you. It's the thing we've been wanting this for so long, and we finally like the uh, the technology has caught up to the fandom. So we're mm-hmm. like we're we're enjoying it as much as we can. And if we're if we're unable to to make it, then we're happy to talk about it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> And we and we've lost the stigma of being nerds for it, so that's that's even better. Amen. <laughs> well, thank you again, uh, Eric, and um, so I'll have links up to to where people can find you. And congratulations on the show, and uh, I hope to talk to you again. Thanks. I look forward to it. Once again, I want to thank Eric Goins for being on the Fancast this week. We had a great conversation, and I really appreciate his time and. His insight on everything from uh, character creation to improv and acting and how important it is. If you want to follow Eric online, uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at Eric L. Goins. You can also follow him on Instagram. His Instagram is at the underscore Eric underscore Goins. And he has his own website, www.ericgoins.com. 
And you can always follow the Superpowered Fancast online on Twitter at Superpowered Fan. You can always drop me an email about anything you like, dislike, or want more of on the podcast. Superpowerfancast at gmail.com. You can also find the uh, the video of this interview on YouTube if you go to my YouTube page, Superpowered Fancast. That's on YouTube. You can also go to my Facebook page. Just look for Superpowered Fancast. And I'm on Instagram as well, Superpowered Fancast. So until next time, this is Darren for Superpowered Fancast. Thanking you for listening. Thank you, Eric Goins, for being on the show. And I'll see you next time.